to the glory of God. Now, you will see me wiping a lot because I must smell very good or look good as sun because these bugs are swarming around my head, but we're going to get through this word in Jesus' name. First of all, we want to say happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there, whether you're a biological mother, surrogate mother, uh, mother by way of divorce. Uh, a lot of times, I know when I was in a, a youth pastor, you was, we were like... Um, uh, surrogate fathers to a lot of youth whose fathers were not in the home, but we just want to celebrate you mothers and thank God for you because without you, we wouldn't be here. Literally, without you, we would not be here. So we're going to, we just want to celebrate you and thank God for you. Our Father, I just want to pray for all the mothers this, this afternoon. Father, we give you glory, honor, and praise, and thank you, thank you, thank you for the gifts of mothers. Thank you for mothers, Father God, who have taught us, who have nurtured us, who have instructed us, who have taught us, who have loved us who have guided us, who have directed us in the way that we should go. Father, we thank you right now for their labor of love. We thank you that they never gave up or quit on us. We thank you, Father God, for the impact that they had in our lives. Now, Father, even for those mothers who've already gone home to, to transition to be with you, Father God, we just want to thank you and honor you for giving us the gift of mothers, for letting them have such an impact on our lives. And Father, we give you alone the glory, the honor, and praise. Father, we ask you to continue to strengthen mothers today. Challenges that they're facing right now, we're asking you to supply every need according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Father, we're asking you, Lord God, to, if there is any sickness or disease in our body, we declare that by Jesus' stripes, they're healed from the crown of their heads to the very soles of their feet. Father God, let them walk in your divine health divine favor goes before them and prospers their way causes all that they set their hands to to prosper give them wisdom give them knowledge give them understanding that's far above their years that they might be all that you call them to be in these last days and father we give you praise for it in jesus name amen and glory to god again mothers thank you so very much i mean i tell my mother in fact i called my mother yesterday and told her i said hey mom this is your favorite son you know, don't tell my other brothers that I'm your favorite, but this is your favorite son. And she started laughing because that's a little joke because, I mean, my mother doesn't have any favorites, wink, wink, uh, any favorites. Uh, but, you know, I always have said that to her. But I thank God for my mother. My mother has is the second strongest woman uh, I've ever known. And she is the second most influential woman in my life behind uh, my wife, Juwen. So, again, thank you so very much, mothers, for all that you said all that you do in our lives each and every day. Now, we're going we're gonna to make this declaration. We're going to jump right into the word in Jesus' name. Uh, declaration go this. it says, in accordance with Isaiah 61 and 1, one, it says this, that the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the open of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, a day of vengeance of our God. Hallelujah. And to comfort all who mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise, for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And they shall build the old waste, and they shall raise the former desolations, and they shall repair the waste cities, the desolation of many generations. Father God in heaven, we give you glory, honor, and praise, and thank you in the name of Jesus for this opportunity in your word. We thank you that our preaching and teaching would not be with enticing words of man's wisdom, but let it be a demonstration of spirit and power. Holy Spirit, 
Continue to move up and down each and every aisle. Touch each and every household. Teach each, touch each and every person who hears or watches this broadcast. May their lives be forever changed. May you be glorified in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen. Now make this declaration with me. It says, this is my Bible. The Bible is God speaking to me. The Bible is the truth. It reveals what I should think. It tells me what I should believe. It tells me how I should walk. The word of God is the most important thing in life. So the word of God is the most important thing. It tells you what you think. It tells you how you're supposed to act. It tells you how you're supposed to talk. It tells you how you're supposed to walk in every situation, in every circumstance that you come up against in Jesus' name. Now, if I was to give this this message is titled, the title of this message is part of God's redemption plan, part of God's redemption plan. Now, it doesn't matter how you start, but how you finish is what actually matters. Everyone, listen to me when I tell you, everyone has a history. They have some highs, they have some lows, but let, let, let's let today, everybody say, let's let today. Let's let today be your day one of your fresh start and your new beginning. Let today be your fresh start and new beginning. We've been talking over the last few weeks about life after the cross, and I was sitting there today. Uh, we were, believed that we was going to share about the vision today, but the Lord said, I want you to share something. I want you to, to, to remind women of their value, remind them of how precious they are to me, remind them that no matter what situation and circumstances that you're going up against, understand this, you are valuable and you are precious and you are part of God's redemptive plan. From the very beginning, you were part of God's redemptive plan. Now, if you go all the way to the book of Genesis, turn over to Genesis chapter one, and we're gonna talk about what was God's original intent. When God first set everything up, what was his original intent? Well, if you go to Genesis chapter one, verse 28, and I'm reading out of the Amplified, and it says, what was God's original intent from the very beginning? It says this, it says, after God in, in Genesis 1, 26, it talks about how God said, let us make man or mankind in our image and in our likeness. And, and, let, and he says, you know, let's make them in our image and in our likeness. So get, make them just like us. Uh, and give them all the abilities that we have and what God says this he says in verse 28 he says and God says and he said he blessed them and he said to them he said and this is a mankind mankind I need you to be fruitful I need you to multiply I need you to fill the earth I need you to subdue it using all his vast resources in the service of God and man he says this and have dominion everybody say have dominion have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every creeping thing that moves upon the earth. So God, when he originally created man, his original intent for this man, mankind, Adam at the time, and then came along Eve, that his original intent for them was for them to have dominion, to operate in authority on the earth that was God's original intent. Now, God, remember it says how Jesus said this in, 
in John chapter 10, verse 10, it says this, how it says that the thief, talking about the adversary, he only comes to do three things. The thief only comes, his agenda is for three things. And this is the three things his agenda is. He comes to steal, he comes to kill, and he comes to destroy. Now, what the adversary wants to do, and no matter whether you're in the book of Genesis, or you in May the 7th, the 8th, and 2022, the adversary's agenda is still the same. His agenda is still to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now, what is it he's trying to steal? He's trying to first uh, steal your identity, get you to the place where you don't know who you are and how much value you have. And he's really done a number when it comes to women. And man, we're going to talk about that today, how he, he comes to steal your identity. And if he can steal your identity, his goal is to kill your purpose. So if you don't understand what your identity is, you won't know what your purpose is. And then the third part, he will, his ultimate goal is to destroy your life. How many people know that when God created you, he created you with a purpose. He had a plan. He says in, in, in uh, Jeremiah 22 and 11, uh, God knows the thoughts that he thinks towards you, thoughts of good and not of evil to prosper you, to give you an expected end, to give you a hope and an expected end. That is how God thinks about you. No matter what your situation or circumstance is, his mind, his thoughts of towards you has not changed. But the adversary just wants to come and he wants to steal your identity. He wants to kill your purpose and he wants to destroy your life. But say this, but Jesus said, <laughs> that's the great part. But Jesus said, he came that you might have life in abundance to the full until it overflows. Everybody say that with me. Jesus came that you might have life in abundance to the full until it overflows. In other words, when Jesus says, even though the thief comes to steal, to kill and to destroy, I came to not just to give you life, but in this sense, I'm going to restore your life. I'm going to restore you back to what your life was supposed to be before life happened. I'm going to restore back to all mankind, the, the God kind of life that God had planned for Adam and Eve all the way back from the very beginning. See what he said and it said again. I'm coming to restore back to you the life that God says He originally intended and planned for you from the very beginning. So from the very beginning of time, before before uh, sin even entered into the world, God had a plan for man, and His plan for man was for them to operate to to. Um, and according to Genesis 28, he says to be fruitful, to be to multiply, to fill the earth and to subdue it. And Jesus says, even though the, the thief is coming to try to steal that away from you, I came to restore that life back to you in the name of Jesus. Now, you got to understand with God, everything begins with the word. Everything with God begins with a word. In fact, he says this in Isaiah 46 and 10. He says this. He says that how he declares the end from the very beginning. So God is telling you from the very beginning, before Adam and Eve ever began to do anything on the earth, he says, Adam and Eve, this is what I have. The end result is supposed to be for your life, that you are to to go out and you're supposed to be fruitful. You are to multiply. You are to fill the earth. You are to subdue it and you are to have dominion. So he says this in Isaiah 46 and 10, he says, God declares the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, the things that are not yet done saying my counsel shall stand 
and I will do all my pleasure. Now, if that was God's plan from the very beginning, if that was God's uh, uh, intent from the very beginning, why did that not, what, what caused that not to happen? What caused all the ruckus that we see in the world today? And why was it that Jesus had to come to restore it back to us? And you're gonna find out why we're talking about this because women, you play a very vital role in this, you know, in this process of redemption back to back to the way that God originally intended it for the be. See, initially the adversary was gonna to try to use you one way, but God will never be outdone. And he, he made a way to restore man back to right relationship. He made a way to restore the life back to you that God originally intended from the very beginning. Let's talk about it. Genesis chapter two, verse number 15. Now, in the beginning, when God and when Adam and Eve were on the earth, they lived and operated according to the kingdom of God, our God's governing system, our God's nature, his lifestyle and culture. In other words, they operated on earth just like it was in heaven. Did y'all hear that? Adam and Eve operated on earth just like it was in heaven. This is what God said to Adam. Eve hadn't been made yet, but this is what God said to Adam. He said this. He said, Adam, this is what he said. He says, then the Lord took Adam, took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it, to, to, to cultivate it and to keep it, which means he was to cultivate it and to guard it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. He didn't mean physical death right away, but in the day that you, you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the day that you violate this one law, I'm giving you according to, according to my kingdom way of doing things, the moment you violate this one law, he says, you are going to separate yourself from my way of doing things. You're going to separate yourself from the kingdom of God, and you're going to separate the relationship that you and I have right now uh, the way that it is where we're walking and talking in the cool of the day every day. Cause why? Because at that point, Adam knew nothing about sin. He did all he knew was good. All he knew was God. All he understood was God's way of doing things. So let's see what happened. So God gives this command to the man. And then the Lord said, even after he, he Adam had a, had a, had a place to live. He had a job. He had resources. He had a relationship with God. He knew what his purpose and plan was. God still says this in verse number 18. And the Lord said, it's not good that this man should be alone. I will make him a helper. I will make him what many people say, help me. He says, I'm going to provide a help, an assistant, an aide who's going to be there to help him to do what? Carry out his purpose and plan that God intended him to have from the beginning of the earth. Why is that? Because no matter how much Adam would have tried, he could not fill the earth by himself. He was going to need the perfect mat, the perfect, uh, perfect uh, thing in order for him to be able to fill the earth in order to, for them to multiply, in order for them to subdue it. And what was that? What did God provide to him? God provided to him a woman. What is a woman? A man with a womb. 
So God says, Adam, from the very beginning, what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to give you this purpose. I'm going to give you an identity. I'm going to tell you this is the I'm going to establish a life for you. And he says, and as long as you keep this one law, don't violate this one law, man, everything is going to be gravy. But what in it? Let's talk about what ended up happening. You now, God provided this help for Adam, and it was Adam's responsibility to be able to share with the with Eve everything that God has shared with him. In fact, it says that after, when Adam, it says God did not make a new person. He took a rib from the side of Adam, and from Adam he made or he he formed and shaped and cultivated and made the woman. Now. When Adam woke up and saw her, he said, whoa, man, he says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. So the two, Adam and his wife, were naked and they were not ashamed. Everybody still with me? Everybody, I need you to understand that part of it, because if you don't understand that part of it, the fact that they, the woman was made up to set up to, to be an assist and an aid to that man they was to he was to cultivate and protect her he was to he was supposed she was to be an aided assist to him and what in other words they function as one then what happened genesis chapter three says this it says and when it said, then the adversary the adversary comes remember satan will all as soon as you get a word from the lord the adversaries are automatically going to come and try to get that word away from you so that you don't fulfill what it is God has called you to do. Remember, his, his, his mode of operation is, is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. It says this, Adam and Eve are in the garden. The serpent comes, yielded his, yielded his body for the adversary to use his body. The adversary walks up to Eve and says this, did God really say you couldn't eat of any of the trees of the garden? And Eve says, hey, we may eat up all of the trees of the garden, but of this one tree, we should not eat of it. For in the day that we eat of it, we shall surely die. Now, the adversary presented a perverted truth or a twisted truth to Eve that says, you shouldn't surely die. For in the day that you eat of it, God knows you will be just like him, knowing good and evil. Now, what did Eve do? Eve, understanding all they knew at this time was God's way of doing things. But when this new suggestion was put in her mind she listened to what the app she pondered on what it is that he said it says this in verse number six it says and when the woman saw that the tree was good suitable pleasant for food and that it was uh delightful to look at and that the tree to be desired in order to make one wise what do we call this lust of the eye lust of the flesh the pride of life. It's the same tricks and tools that the adversary still uses today. He has nothing new. He can't create anything new. All he can do, he's a counterfeit. He can only take what already exists and to pervert it or try to turn you away from that which is true to something that is worse. So what, what is it? So Eve is looking on this true on this fruit. And this is what this is. He's look. She's looking at it, and she says, "Hey, you know, I'm looking at it, and it looks good for food, and it looks delightful to look at, and <laughs> hey, and it's a tree to be desired in order to make one wise." So she took of his fruit and she ate of it. What happened when she did it? Nothing happened when she did it. Then she gave also to her husband. And he ate, which means Adam was standing right next to her. 
he never said a word. He didn't. He didn't operate in his in his and he didn't. He didn't keep his identity. He didn't operate in his purpose. And as a result of it, allowed the adversary access to be able to try to destroy their lives. So they ate of it, and both she ate it, and then she turned to him, and he ate of it, and it says, and then the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves apron-like girdles. What happened? As soon as they partook of the fruit that God told Adam not to take of, it, what God said actually happened. They separated themselves from God's kingdom way of doing things, and now they have transitioned themselves over into a new kingdom, which is known as the kingdom of darkness. They submitted themselves. The adversary could not make them do it. They had to submit themselves to the adversary's words, and when they did, they gave higher higher priority to the adversary's words than what it is that the word of God said. And as a result of it, they bowed their knee to the adversary and he became, he became the God, the small G G O D of this world that we live in right now. So if you understand that part right there, that the reason why you see so many things going on right now is because God gave the earth to man, man turned around and yielded their authority to the adversary and gave him authority over the earth. But God will never be outdone. And see the same woman that the adversary used to try to, to he deceived her and she, bowed her knee she submitted to his his words is going to be the same one guy's going to say hey this would this this one this individual that you try to to try to steal her identity to take her kill her purpose to destroy her life i'm going to use a woman and that same another woman is going to come along and she's going to bring forth the very thing that's going to cause you to lose everything that you believe that you receive now it says that holy glory to god it says and and glory to god it says the first when they how do you know they transition from the kingdom of god into the kingdom of darkness well when eve and adam and eve partook of that fruit the first thing that came on them when they seen each other naked because they would remember it said when she was born when god had created her and adam seen her he says they were naked and they were not ashamed what was the first thing that came? Shame. There's no shame in the kingdom of God. There's no guilt in the kingdom of God. There's no condemnation in the kingdom of God. There's no fear in the kingdom of God. How do you know that? Because there's no shame, there's no guilt, and there's no fear in the kingdom of God. In fact, God says in 2 in Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, he says, God didn't give you a spirit of fear but a power of love and of a sound mind. So what happened? Shame comes. Shame was the first thing that sh showed up. Then it says this, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife did what? They hid themselves from the presence of God. What's the next thing that showed up after the shame came? Fear. Fear showed up. And what? how do you know the fear showed up? Showed up? Because it says, uh, Adam and Eve hid themselves from the presence of God, and, and but the Lord called out to Adam, and he said to him, where are you? And Adam said, I heard you coming, and I hid myself because I 
was afraid. And then God asked him this question it was so smooth about God. He says, uh, he says, I was afraid. Adam said, I'm afraid because I'm naked. God didn't say, um, Adam, why are you naked? God asked him this question. Who told you you were naked? In other words, who's been sharing, who's, who's, who's giving you information that's outside of what it is? I told you because when I left you, you were covered in my glory. When I left you, your wife, you and your wife were operating as one. You and your wife were operating according to the kingdom of God. You and your wife was operating on earth just like it is in heaven. And you know all this time there was no shame among you. There was no fear among you. There was no guilt among you. So God asked him this question. Who told you he was naked? Did you eat of the tree I told you not to eat of? And then Adam didn't, he didn't man up, he blamed Eve. Why is all that important? Eve was the one who was deceived and, and partake of the fruit. And she turned and gave it to her husband and he ate of it. Look at God's redemptive, part of God's redemptive plan was he was just like a woman was, was the world would say the woman was the one who caused the fall, God's going to use a woman to restore it. God's going to say that, hey, adversary, you thought that you had, you thought you won. You thought you got something big. But this is what he said to him in verse number 15. He said, <laughs> he says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. Women, the adversary hates you. Why? He says, because and, and because you're going to have, you're, there's going to be contentions between your offsprings, people who op, who continue to operate according to, to the kingdom of darkness, and her offspring, talking about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who is part of the kingdom of God. And he says, and he, talking about her, the woman's offspring, talking about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, will bruise and tread upon the adversary's head. He's going to uh, he's going to be keep it under his feet. What is Jesus going to do? He's going to come and crush the authority that the adversary believes that he has. And he says, now, even you will bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. Even though you go, might going to uh, bruise his body, he is going to crush your head. What was Jesus going to do when he came? What was her offspring going to do when he came? Man, glory to God. And according to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, it says this. It says, for unto us a child is born and, and, and a son is given. And it says, and the government or the kingdom shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace, he says, and of the increase of his kingdom and the and of peace, there shall be no end. So what was Jesus going to do? He was coming. He was going to crush the head. I crush the authority that the adversary believed he's, he has. And how, what was he going to do? He was going to come and restore back to the earth, the kingdom of God. He's going to come and restore back to man life as it was before sin happened to it and what was he going to do he was going to use a woman to bring forth the offspring that's going to take back everything that the adversary believed that he stole did y'all hear that it says women he's going to use you to bring forth a seed talk about when you're raising up godly's children that's going to do what is going to continue to crush the head of the adversary and take back everything that the devil has tried to steal from you in Jesus' name. It says, now listen to this part right here. It says, and of the increase of his government and of the peace, there shall be no end. And upon the throne of David, I need you to listen to that part. Upon the throne of David 
And over his kingdom, he's what is Jesus going to do? He's going to reestablish the kingdom and he's going to uphold that kingdom with justice and righteousness from from the latter times forth and forevermore. What's what's going to happen? David or Jesus is going to come and he's going to restore the kingdom of God. He's going to restore back to man the dominion. He's going to restore back to man the power. He's going to restore back to man the Holy Spirit. He's going to restore back to man the authority to operate on earth just like it is in heaven. And it, he made it available to us, made it available to us over 2000 years ago. And the same thing he did there is the same life he came to provide then. It's the same life he came to provide now. And he gave us mothers. He gave us mothers. And guess what mothers do? Mothers are still working as part of that redemption plan to be able to work. do what? To teach and to train and to raise up godly seeds. And fathers are supposed to instruct and lead and guide and aim their children in the way that they should go according to the word of God. Have y'all are y'all with me so far? And the reason why I need you because everything after that, everything I said after that leads us up to this point right here. And this is the part I really need people to understand. If you understand that part about the whole kingdom of God and how the adversary came up, you came at the woman to to deceive her, to get her to bow her knee uh to his through to his perverted speech glory to god the same way he and what god did is says hey woman even though you fail i'm still going to use you to be able to carry out my plan in here i'm going to use you to bring restoration in here i'm going to use you to be a vehicle by which i will bring restoration into the restoration plan to restore the kingdom of god back into the earth then I'm, I'm telling you all this and the reason why i'm reminding you all this god says remind you all this he says because this is what happened everything anytime you hear the word of god anytime you hear a word of god particularly about the kingdom you got to understand the adversary when he's coming to attack you he's coming to attack you not because he's trying to get your house not because he's trying to get your car not because he's trying to, to get your children, not because he's trying to destroy your marriage, but the reason the adversary attacks you is because it's all about the word. He needs to get that word. Anytime God gives you a word, he's got to try to come and get that word from you. And he, in Adam and Eve's case, he used temptation about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in and, and this case with David, we're going to talk about him here in a minute, about how he used different different kind of people in order to bring about testing trials and tribulations to try to get the word of god uh, uh, not to come to pass in adam's life now let's talk about it here and how do you know that how do you know that's what the adversary is after well turn with me over to matthew chapter 13 matthew chapter 13 it's not about you but about the word it's not about you turn to your neighbors and neighbor it's not about you it's all about the word Turn to the other neighbor and say, neighbor, it's not about you. It's all about the word. Pour to yourself, hey, it's not about you. It's all about the word. Now, Jesus here is sharing about the, so the parable of the sword. And he says here how in Matthew chapter 13 and 18, he says, hear the parable of the sword. And, and he's talked about 
he, he's, there's four types of ground. He said, let me, we're going to talk about the second type of ground. Now, he says this in verse number 20. He says, the one whose seed was sown on the rocky places, this man who hears the word and immediately receives the word with joy, yet he has no firm fruit in himself, but it, it is only temporary. And when afflictions, test trials, and tribulations come, and persecution. Persecution means when other people rise up against you. When all these two types of things arise up against you, why, why the persecution? Why the affliction coming? Because of the word. Did y'all hear that? Why is the persecution coming? Why is the affliction coming? Because of the word. What word? The word that was sown into your heart. The word that was spoken over you. The prophecy that was spoken over you. The word acknowledged that was given to you, the word of the word of wisdom was given to you. When so, when it, the word that you're listening to even right now, when you're sitting and reading the word, studying the word, hearing the word, the adversary is going to come immediately to try to get that word away from you because he knows if he does not get that word away from you, that which God has spoken over you, the plans, purpose, and pursuit that God has given and thought towards you, placed in you, will come to pass, and more people will come to God and less people will be, be open to the kingdom of darkness it says this he says the word and because of because they became because the affliction and the persecutions arises because of the word immediately this person falls away and the and did, didn't watch now think about this um, when the word comes and then the afflictions come the persecution comes and this person gets offended and when they get offended then the word that they heard falls away. And that person begins to fall away and they stop following God anymore. Then there's a third, there's a, a second type of ground. Let's talk about this is the one where the seed is sown among thorns. This is the man or woman who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth chokes the word and it becomes unfruitful. So what's the adversary's ultimate goal? Get the word of God out of you. Get you to stop focusing on the word. Get you to start looking at the persecution of people coming up against you. Get you to start looking at all the test trials and tribulations that you're going through, the problems that you're going through, the cares of this world. How am I going to pay this? What am I going to do about this? Uh, what about the, somebody's offering me this amount of money to do this? But in order to do that, I got to walk. Away. I'm not going to show up at church anymore. I got so many different things going on. I'm not even going to get under the word anymore. The adversary's ultimate goal is to get the word of God out of you. The, all his ultimate goal is to get the word, to pull that word. Remember, in order, in order, because once he steals that word from you, that's what going to, it's going to change your identity. You won't know who you are. And if you don't know who you are, you can't walk in your purpose. And if you can't walk in your purpose, he has, he is, by default, he's already destroyed the life. What kind of life? The God kind of life that God made, came, Jesus came to make available to you. But God says it's not over. He says it's not over. He says it's not over. He says, women, you are part of my redemptive plan. And to the and specifically today, we're talking about women. We're talking to women. Why? Because the adversary has used the media. He's used social media. He's used men. He's used other women. He's used all kinds of situations and circumstances, laws and legislations to try to make you feel like you're a second-class citizen. And what see, people either go either gonna go too far to the left or they're going to go too far to the right 
if they go too far to the left, it's like, I am woman, hear me roar. I ain't no man ever gonna tell me what to do. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna do my own thing. I don't need a man for nothing, blah, blah, blah. And they go off in one direction. Or you have women on the other side who they have such a low uh, uh, view of themselves, low, such low self-esteem that they don't think they have any value at all. And both of those extremes are wrong. The truth is in the middle. God says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made in accordance to Psalms 139. But he also gave, has a plan and a purpose and a way of doing things. And, and, and he has a strategy for your life. And he has a way that he needs you to do things. And that means you got to submit to his way of doing things. That word submit simply means to get under his mission, to get under his way of doing things. Now, you say, how do you know that God uses women and, and their value and, and no matter how they start, God can turn that situation around. No matter what the situation looked like, you could have came up, you could have had a toe up situation. I mean, I know women who have, who've been married and, you know, they've had kids and for whatever reason, their husband ended up leaving them or he ended up dying or something happened or they got pregnant outside of wedlock and people put, put them on the shame show and made them feel so belittled. It, is that God's ultimate plan for you? No. But guess what? God has redemption available to you. Remember, Jesus came to give you life in abundance to the full or to the overflow. He came to restore back to you your identity. He came to give you purpose so you can live the God kind of life on earth just like it is in heaven. Now, let's talk about a woman whose beginning was rough, but God used her. Even, even through everything she went through, God still had a plan for her life. Let's talk about it. Let's remember, David was going to be the, what it says Jesus was going to sit on the throne of David. Now, David in, in 1 Samuel chapter 13, it says how David was a man after God's own heart. Now, David became, was a man after God's own heart, but David came into position because Saul, who was the king before David, didn't do everything God told him to do. He says this, in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse number 13 says this, and Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you for now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom should not continue. What did, what did God say to Samuel to say to Saul, he says this, he says, the Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept his, kept what the Lord commanded you. So Saul was the king and he did not keep the commandments of the Lord. And what did God do? He raised up another man. And God says, this man is a man after my own heart. Now, if you, you already know the history of David, you know David did not do everything right. To be a man after God's own heart does not mean that you're perfect. To be a man after God's own heart does not mean you're not going to make a mistake because you're going to find out here real soon. David made a lot of mistakes, but God says he is still a man after my own heart. Because remember, everything about the Bible is dealing with kingdom kingdom of God. God's kingdom was established in the very beginning. Things, people got out, they disobeyed God. So there was a separation. 
Now, God has this redemptive plan on how he's going to restore the kingdom back and to the earth, but he's going to have to use people to be able to do it. In fact, in order for God to have expression or rulership in the earth, God's going to need people to be able to do that. And guess who's part of that? David was part of that. And you're going to find out, even though David was a man after God's own heart, David did not do everything right. In fact, David did some stuff that we would think today is darn right crazy. And I need to share this with you, that David was part of Jesus' genealogy. In Matthew chapter 1, verse number 1, it says, the book of the ancestry or genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the appointed one, the son, the descendant of who? David. The, the son, the ascendant of Abraham. It says this. It says this in verse six that Jesse was the father of King David. And King David was the father of Solomon. Everybody know about Solomon? Solomon was the, was the wisest man who was on the earth, whose mother had been the wife of Uriah. Now, we're going to talk about this situation. Dave, now, David was to, was to be king. And his son Solomon was going to be, was a part of Jesus' genealogy. But David ended up doing something that caused Solomon to be about with a woman who used to be another man's wife. Now, this ain't even a reality show. I mean, you know, you, you can't make this stuff up. But the thing about it, even though their beginning wasn't the perfect way that God would intended to be, God was still able to bring about his plan, his redemptive plan for man in the earth. Now, let's go, go with me to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11. Glory to God. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Just because your situation didn't start off right, just because you might have had a word from the Lord, and as soon as you got the word from the Lord, you got tested. There was a test. There was a trial. There was a tribulation. Something happened in that situation that, that could have got, that could have hurt you, could have brought pain to you. Even if that's the situation God told me to tell you, he's here to restore you today. He's here to, to, to restore you back to the way life was before life happened to it. Just because situations come does not mean you have to stay in that same state of mind, that same situation over and over again. Now, let's talk about David. David, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, it says this. It says, and it happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. Now it says that kings were the ones who were supposed to go out to battle. So why did David stay back? This already tells you part of the problem was David got himself out of position because had David been where he was supposed to be, he would have never been in position to do any of the other stuff that's going to come as a result of what David did. It goes on to say this, it says, and then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman and someone said, is, is it not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? So David already knows this is somebody else's wife 
One inside, one inside. Ding, 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 ding. David, leave it alone. David, leave it alone. Then it says, but what did David do? Then David sent messages and took her and she came to him. She didn't have a choice. David had a choice. She didn't have a choice because he was the king. And he lay with her for she was cleansed from her, pure, her impurity and she returned to her house and the woman conceived. So she sent and told David she was with child. So King David, a man after God's own heart, a man who God had chose, a man says, hey, this is the man I'm going to use in this, to, to, to rule over Israel. And this and his, and his descendant, this part of my redemptive plan is going to come through his lineage. David, even though he was a man after God's own heart, David still had issues. And I'm telling you, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't name what, matter what title was behind your name. If you are still in this body, there it, it doesn't excuse it. But people are still have issues. And one of the issues that David had, David had issues with the females, with females. In fact, when David got ready to die, the, the way that David they found out that David was they knew David was dead, was dying or was dead, they put a young uh, girl in the bed with David, and David didn't try to move on her. He had issues. But God still used them. Why? Because David was, you're going to find out why. Why did God use him even though he, he had an issue? Because God does, doesn't look at God. We look at men's actions. God looks at man's heart. Now, even when David finds out that Bathsheba's pregnant, what's David going to do? He going to man up? No, because he knew it was against the law for him to be with her. So when he found out that she was pregnant, what did he try to do? He tried to cover up his sin. In fact, it says this in verse number six, it says, and then David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. Uh, wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house and a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his, of his Lord and did not go down to his house. So when they, so when they told David saying Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? What is David trying to do? David is trying to get Uriah to go home with the hope that when Uriah goes home, he's going to sleep with his wife. And then it's not going to come out the fact that she was pregnant by somebody else who was not him. Not right, but it did happen. Then what happened? It goes on and says, uh, what did Uriah say? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents and my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife as you live and as your, as your soul lives? I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, wait here today also and tomorrow I will let you depart. 
So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. And now when David called him, he ate and drank before him and he made him drunk. So David got the man drunk. And at the evening, he went out to lie on. Now Uriah at the evening went out to lie on his bed with the servants of the Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning, it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter, saying set uriah in the foremost forefront of the hardest bottle and retreat from him that he might be struck down and die so when david tried to try to cover sin by having trying to trick uriah into going down and sleeping with his wife to cover up what it is he did when none of that worked then david says i know i, I know He's, he, he's a man of honor. So what I'll do is I'll send him down to the hottest part of the bottle. And when he gets there, I know that when he gets in this hottest part of the bottle, chances are he is going to die. Is this right? No, this is still a man after God's own heart. So how did God say this is a man after God's own heart? Of course, God had to know that he was going to do all these things. So what do you say about that? And God knew all these things was going to happen. So what was God's attitude about this? Verse number 11, well, verse 26 tells you. And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, Uriah, her husband, had died, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But listen to God's attitude about that. But the Lord, the thing did not that David had done, this please God. What David did displeased God. So what did God do? Did God strip the kingdom from him? Nope. What did God do? God always allows for repentance. Now this woman, she's in this situation by default because she obeyed what the king told her to do. He was the one who did what he did. But what did God do? God did, yes, sir. He says, God I, God does what did with David the same thing he did with Adam. He gave Adam an opportunity to repent, but Adam did not. Adam blamed Eve as opposed to saying, you know what? I was the one who ate other fruit. I was the one that took a, you never know what God would have done in that situation. But because Eve didn't, didn't acknowledge what it is she did, and because Adam did not acknowledge what he did, then the end result came. So what did he do? He came. What, what did God do to David? He sent. This is how you know God. David was a man after God's own heart. God knew what David was going to do. What did he do? He sent David a prophet, the prophet Nathan, to David. And he came to him and he said to him, this is in, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse, I'm sorry, 2 Samuel 12, verse number one, it says this. And the Lord sent Nathan to David and he came to him and he said to him, there were two men in one city and one, one was rich and the other poor. The rich man had an exceedingly, exceedingly many flock and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and nourished and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank of his own cup 
and lay in his bosom and it was like a like a daughter to him talking about the lad to this poor man and a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man had come to him so david's anger was greatly aroused against the man and he said to nathan as the lord lives the man who has done this shall surely die and he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity so this is what what did Abraham, what did Nathan do? He he positioned he he gave to David he he gave him a parable. He told him, "Let me tell you this story about what happened." And he said this to the king, and the king was hot. He was mad. He he demanded the man's life. But then this is what Nathan said to David. Nathan said to David, "You are that man. Which man? You are the man, the rich man who took." The, the one little ewe lamb from the poor man. And this is what he says. He says, thus says the Lord God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives in, into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had not had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why, David, why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and you have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with them, lie with, uh, lie with your wives in the sight of this son, for you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all of Israel before the sun. Now he's telling David, David, why did you sin against me? And why did you sin against the command? And he laid out to David everything that he had done. Now, even though what we're going to find out what David's response for what that was, in verse number 13, it says this, and David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. What did David do? He acknowledged that he has sinned against the Lord. And, to, and Nathan said to, to David, the Lord has also put away from your sin. When did God put away David's sin? The moment that he acknowledged the fact he had sinned against him. What made David a man after God's own heart? David was quick to repent. He was quick to obey he was quick to forgive, but he was also quick to repent. And it says, and the Lord also put away your sins. You shall not die because the, the, the consequence of what David did 
in that time would have been David should have died. But God says, but what did God do? He did not cause him to die because David repented. How now he says, you're not going to die, but because by this deed you have given great occasion for the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. What happened? Even though David repented, there were still consequences as a result of his actions. Who, who suffered these consequences? David did. Bathsheba did. Even though David had repentance. Because we'll see, a lot of times people think repentance means I'm sorry. But repentance is not just saying I'm sorry. Repentance means I have changed the way that I think. I changed my, my, my actions. I'm going to change my mind about this thing going forward. How do you know that David really changed his mind about it? Psalms 51 and 1 says this. It says, have mercy upon me, O Lord. Oh, have mercy upon me. This is David. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to the multitude of your tender mercy and loving kindness. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly and repeatedly from my iniquity and guilt and cleanse me and make me wholly pure from my sin. For I am conscious of my transgressions and I acknowledge them. Did y'all hear that? I'm conscious of it. I acknowledge it. My sin is ever before me against you. Who did he, David say? Against you and you only have I sinned. I have done that which is evil in your sight so that you are justified in your sentence and you're faultless in your judgment. What did, God, what did David say? God, I acknowledge the fact that what I did was not right in your eyes against you and you only have I sinned and the and your and the consequences that I have received or the judgment that I have or the sentence that I have received you are justified because of your sentence and faultless in your judgment what did David ask God to do purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean wash me and I shall lie in real, and I shall in reality be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness and be satisfied. Let the bones which have which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my guilt and iniquities. Create in me, Lord, a clean heart, O God, and renew a right, preserving and steadfast spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners shall be converted and return to you. What did David say? God, I acknowledge what it is that I did. I acknowledge the fact that I sinned against you and against you only. I acknowledge the fact that I took this woman. I had, should have had nothing to do with this woman whatsoever. I acknowledge the fact that I had her husband killed and because I was trying to cover it up. And Father, I, I accept the fact that there's, there's going to be a judgment. I accept the fact 
and you're and you're right and you are faultless in that judgment because against you only have I sinned. Now I'm asking you to restore me, Lord. Restore me back to the place that I was supposed to be. Restore me back to what it is that was supposed to, that the plans and purposes that you have for my life. Restore the joy of your salvation, creating me a clean heart, renewing me a right spirit. And he says, and when you do this, Lord, this is what I'm going to do. I will teach your transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted and return to you. What did David do? He, he heard, he changed his mind. He changed his thoughts. He changed his actions. What did he do? He had total repentance. What did God do? Second Samuel chapter 12, 24 says what God did. God said, did this. Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went in to her and lay with her. So she bore a son and she called his name Solomon. Now the Lord loved him, loved who? Solomon. And he sent word by the hand of Nathan, the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the lord what happened david repented god wiped away his sin consequences still came david didn't just say acknowledge he was sorry but david changed his mind david changed his thoughts david changed his actions david began to walk in a different way but what about Bathsheba? what happened to her she was she was part of this by default. She was part of this. What did God do with her? God used her to do what? Train up to teach the son that will come from her, their, their marriage, that will come from their union. How do you know that? Proverbs chapter one says this. This is Solomon, the son who was born out of a crazy situation, but he was born. And what does it say? It says here in, in Proverbs 1 and 8, it says, hear, my son, your father's instructions and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are gracious, are a gracious wreath to your head and an ornament about your neck. Proverbs 6 and 20 says this, my son, observe the commandments of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart, tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light and reproofs of discipline are in the way of life. What else did, what else did Bathsheba go on to be in this, in, to be part of this redemptive plan? She's, she's the Psalms 31 woman. She was the one who was teaching her son what to look for in a wife and what to stay away from. She says this, what, what my son and what the son of my wounds, Proverbs 31, 2 and 3, and what the son of my vows, do not give your strength to women nor your ways, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. Why is she saying this to Solomon? Because Solomon was going to be confronted with the same issue that his father David was. Remember, God has spoke a word and says that, said that, that David was going to rule over Israel. And then Solomon was going to take 
David's place on the throne of Israel when David got ready to die because David and Solomon were both in the lineage of Jesus. So what does Solomon do? Even though his father, his father taught him in the taught gave him instruction and his mother taught him in the way that he should go. And she's telling him, son, do not give your strength to women. What is strength? When men are having sex with, with women outside of wedlock. Don't give your strength to these women, nor your ways, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. What happened with Solomon? First King chapter 11 says it. Verse one says this, and this is where we're going to stop. But when King, stopped, but King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites and the Amorites and the Anamites and the Sidians and the Hittites from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they, nor they with you. Surely they will turn you away, turn away your heart away after their gods. And Solomon clung to these in love. And he had 700 wives, glory to God and princesses and 300 concubines and his wives what do they do they turned away his heart for it was so when solomon was old that his wives turned his heart away after other gods and his heart was not loyal to the lord his god as was his the heart of his father david for solomon went Atha, Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidians, and Atha, Milcon, the abomination of the Amorites, Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow, follow the Lord as did his father. So what happened? David had a word. He was going to be king over Israel. He was a man after God's own heart. The adversary knew David was a God after mind's own heart. He did not know who, remember God originally said from the very beginning, I'm going to raise, her seed is going to bring forth, the woman's going to bring forth a seed and he is going to crush your head. The adversary did not know who this was. So he was going through generation after generation after generation and he knew that God had covenant with, with Israel. So what was he trying to do? Get men, get David to do, get Solomon to do the same thing that Adam and Eve did. Disobey God, turn from God's way of doing things, and do things to, king, to kingdom of darkness way of doing things. David actually fell into that trap. But what did David do that this, this Solomon hadn't done? David repented. He acknowledged his sin, even though he would, and uh, there was consequences. And the woman who was involved with Solomon, with, with David at the time, I apologize, with David at the time, she suffered the same consequences that David went through, but God restored back to them that which was taken. Adam and Eve went through a situation. They, they fell. 
but God restored back to them that which was taken. He that he restored relationship with them. Their fellowship was 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 broken, but he was still in relationship with them. David's fellowship with God was broken, but he was still in relationship with them until he re he repented and was restored. God used David and God used the woman to bring about redemption, to bring about instruction, to bring about teaching that we're still living by today. What David, what Solomon wrote that his mom and his dad gave to him. The adversary was after the word. The adversary is still after the word that God has given to you. The adversary is still after, after you right now to try to get that word from you. But God says, women, you are part of my redemption plan. You were part of it. Let nobody tell you any different. You are part of God's redemptive plan. Now, even if you've gotten off, even if you walked away from God, even if you turned away from God, even if you've been hurt by a situation and you so mad and you say, I don't want nothing else to do with God. God is never your problem. He's always going to be your solution. So what do you do? How do you turn that situation around? How do you get back in right position? How do you get back in right relationship? How do you get back on the right track? You got to do just what David did. David repented. David made a decision. I'm I'm a I'm a, I'm a repent. I'm going to change my thinking. I'm going to change my actions. And I'm going to walk in a different way. You're still part of God's redemptive plan because you are mothers, your daughters, your sisters, your aunts. What does he need? What is God still trying to do? Bring forth a godly generation. Bring forth those who are in the, still in the kingdom of God who will go forth and do the purposes, plans, and pursuits that God has for their lives. And he wants to use you to do it. Will you allow him to use you today? Pray this prayer to me and, and let's get back in right relationship with God right now. Say, Heavenly, dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I do believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe he died for me on the cross and carried my sins for me. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. I repent. I turn from my old ways. I turn from my old way of thinking. I turn from the offenses, the afflictions that have, that have hindered me from fulfilling all you called me to do and all that you called me to be. I make a decision to get back in right, right position and get back into the plans and purposes you have for my life. I receive your forgiveness. I'm born again. I'm in right relationship. I'm in right uh, position. And I'm yours from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you pray that prayer for the very first time, we want to welcome you to the kingdom of God, welcome you back into right relationship, welcome you back to right position. What do you do now? Man, you got to get in a word-based church that teaches you about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe Ignite is that place. So we're here every Saturday at 5 p.m. If you're, if you're in the area, come join us on site at 5, at 5 p.m. every Saturday or catch us online via YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, uh, and we love to have our website at ignite2life.com. 
And if and if you are uh, too busy or you're working, man, catch us on podcast at Ignite to Life. That's Ignite the number two life podcast and catch this message and other messages uh, on the on the podcast. On behalf of Minister Juin, the entire Ignite Nation, and myself, I want to first of all say Happy Mother's Day to all you mothers out there, and remember. You are part of God's redemptive plan. God bless you. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.